Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Clemson is your Atlantic Division champ. Jimbo Fisher's agent just bought another beach house. Louisville and South Carolina share the same number of wins over 500 teams, and life is good. Welcome back, guys. This is Nick, your host. I'm joined this evening by Cody, and we are here to recap the Wake Forest game and preview the South Carolina game uh, for this coming weekend. So thank you for joining us. Um, Cody... Got a lot to cover today. I think definitely want to take some time to recap what happened um, up in Winston-Salem with that Wake Forest game. We won't dwell too much there uh, because really the main event, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, is uh, the upcoming Palmetto Bowl um, happening in Clemson on Saturday evening. So uh, definitely want to save some time not only to preview that game, but talk about South Carolina, our opponent. Uh, their program right now is going through a lot of transition over the last 12 months. So it might be good for maybe some of our Clemson listeners that have not you know, spent too much time keeping up with them just to check in on the state of their program. Um, and then we would be remiss not to look around the country at what's, what's gone on this past weekend, what's coming up with Rivalry Week. Um, this college football playoff committee released their second-to-last rankings um, this evening. You can talk about that. So... Uh, Without further ado, I guess, why don't, we, why don't we start just with our thoughts from the Wake game. Um, to kick us off here, Clemson came out of Winston-Salem with a 35-13 victory. In so doing, they clinched the Atlantic Division title, second year in a row. Um, you know, Great to see that conclude this week. Obviously, if Clemson had lost that game, that would have um, gone to Louisville, who um, up until that point only had one ACC loss to Clemson. So uh, obviously good to take care of business there, but you know, having been you know twenty, I think we were like a twenty-three point um, favorite in the game. You know, that's not really a surprise. That was expected. So, um, what are your kind of initial takeaways with the weight game, Cody? The first one is the run game. Uh, I think the run game was really good for for a change. We looked consistent. I won't say dominant, but Wayne Gallman uh, was was finding yards. In some cases, I think he was finding yards that weren't that weren't there. He was just, whenever he could find a, a seam, he was making the most of it. That's good. Wake Forest's defense was not that bad. Uh, they, you think about traditional Wake teams and you think just a pushover on both sides of the ball, but a good, you know, sound front seven for Wake. And we, I think we look good. Um, aside from that, you know, we started out really well and I thought this had the, the makings of us really looking like, wow, we're really going to uh, make make up for everything that went wrong against Pittsburgh, but uh, ultimately kind of spiraled downward after the first quarter, and it looked a lot more like, dare I say, Jekyll and Hyde again. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you know, t- again, you know, we we don't want to beat a dead horse on wanting to see this team play for consecutive quarters of dominant football, but uh, you know, I, I think it's just something at this point that the coaching staff's fine with. You know, understanding that we just got to get out of there with a win. They may have seen what they wanted to see out of the offense in the first quarter. Certainly the defense took care of business, you know, not necessarily just in three and out fashion in the first quarter, but blanking Wake Forest there. So, um, 
plenty of stuff to gripe about, I guess. Like you can find nits to pick, but ultimately, I mean, I'm I'm kind of looking this at this as the team took care of business. Um, you know, it was a little bit more of the same in some areas, but um, I, you know, I think if this game had mattered more and it was it actually were a closer game down the stretch, you would have seen a bigger sense of urgency from the coaching staff, from even some of the you know, the execution from players on both sides of the ball. And the question, you know, that we can't answer till we see it happen is against an elite opponent, are you going to see this team uh, really play that four consecutive quarters of like high intensity, high focus football? Um, I'm confident they can and will do that. You know, we've seen them play elite competitors this year in Louisville and Florida State who they may not still be in like the top four, top five in terms of rankings, but they're definitely you know among the elite teams in the country. We've seen Clemson rise to the occasion against them, and I, I feel pretty good. And I don't feel like you could have learned anything about our ability to hang with an Alabama against Wake Forest. Like you know, it's just a night and day difference. But definitely, you know, we can maybe talk a little bit about some of the lowlights we saw in this game that you hope the coaching staff is working on here. Um, you know, as, as we prepare for South Carolina for the ACC title game and postseason play. Right. Um, maybe before lowlights, like you said, uh, talking about like motivation and, and going into Wake Forest, the, if you saw the, the, the camera pan across the stadium, I think towards the, towards the end, maybe some, at some point in the second half, it looked like, I, I think I've seen high school stadiums with, with more people there. So there is something to be said, like you said, you, you can use this as a way to calibrate how we would do against an Alabama it's just it's completely different something to be said for getting up and uh you're right after we kind of got the initial lead at that point it was really just all about us for the for the most part staying healthy and finishing out the game so uh not a whole lot to take uh to take from it other than hey we at least we handled business in the first quarter uh so we got to see some of the backups come in and we got to we got to kind of uh, take a, 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 an, a breath of fresh air, I guess, from uh, of some of the matchups that we've seen, like the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh game, NC State. So not to say that this wasn't a, a good win. It's or not, not to say that was, I'm sorry that was a bad win. It's just to say that you can't take a whole lot from it necessarily. But uh, totally, what were what were some of the positives maybe that you saw? Yeah, I think for me it was a little bit more individual play. Um, so we're reminded once again of some of the greatness of a little bit of uns- unsung guys on this team, like Carlos Watkins. You know, I think he reminded me that no matter what, no matter all the accolades that we're giving to Christian Wilkins, who's definitely earned those, and the exceptional play of true freshman Dexter Lawrence, like Carlos Watkins for me has established himself in a long line of Clemson defensive line talent. Um, you know, he he's got something close to 10 sacks on the season so far so um good stuff from him i thought mark fields and quacking tiger mentioned this he he thought that he played his best game of the year um and looks really in my opinion like the next stellar clemson cornerback which we're going to need losing cordray tankersley this this season um we definitely have from this past recruiting class um you know some talent coming up in the ranks but i think mark fields for what he lacks in certain physical components, um, definitely has been playing hard and playing smart in that corner cornerback spot. Um, and then just, it really is like comical how great our defensive line talent is. Looks like Richard Yergin is 
continuing to improve game by game. Um, Austin Bryant's coming back, but I really, I really saw some plays from Jurgen this time through that, um, you know, gave me some hope considering that Pagano's shelved until the bowl game and then Dexter Lawrence came up in this game, you know, walking around in a supportive boot, I think on Monday, uh, if we should have some, some depth issues, I think Jurgen and then moving, Jurgen would give you, you know, some depth there where you could have Austin Bryant potentially start on the, um, strong side end side move Wilkins back inside, um, and then, you know, spell either Wilkins or, um, I'm sorry, spell either Bryant or um, Cleland Farrell with Richard Yergin um, and still be good to go. So overall, like, yeah, for me, you know, some of the highlights and takeaways, nothing new. It's just like we continue to see against, you know, an improved Wake team, defensive players really establish themselves. Right. And maybe to your point about Jurgen, he's the one guy when I see him on film, he looks good. He looks like he has the athleticism and the length at that strong side, or I'm sorry, at the weak side, um, where he could be a starter on, I don't know, 90 plus uh, percent of teams out there. Just a really good player. Um, so I, I would say just it's more a testament to how, how well Cleveland Farrell's played, uh, less, less um, a testament to how well he hasn't played um, is the reason that he hasn't been getting reps. Um, yeah, Mark. And one last thing, Mark Fields looked really, uh, really good when he was rushing uh, or uh, when he was when he was blitzing uh, a guy that's he's undersized. He, he's had some issues maybe between the years with assignments and things of that nature, but really looked athletic getting after the quarterback. And, you know, he's one of the fastest guys on the roster. So um, I'm with you on on Mark Fields there. Good to see him coming along. Finally, uh, you know, get- Deshaun Watson got involved in the running game too, so I want to call that out from the offensive end. And, you know, Clemson scored five touchdowns in this game, and um, good to see. I mean, obviously four of those came in the first quarter, and to really only put push it across one more time the rest of the game, you know, leaves something to be desired, of course, as fans. But I don't necessarily think you saw Clemson's best football or best attempt at football in the, those final three quarters. So I'm not taking too, too much from that. Um, but, you know... Otherwise, from a low light standpoint, uh, this has been beaten to death. But I think you know Ray Ray McLeod, his difficulty fielding punts, um, the the quick kind of we're all there. You know, Clemson fan reaction when this this stuff goes down in the middle of the game is, you know, forget that. Let's get let's get Artavis Scott in there to field punts and return punts. Seems like Ray Ray has had quite the long leash from Dabo. And we will see this coming week. You know, Dabo is definitely one to forgive and kind of get a guy right back in there to be able to make up for his mistake. But I mean, how many lives is is Ray Ray going to get there? I think it's valid. Yeah, and I, I think with Ray Ray, he gives us the most upside, but it's not as if he's CJ Spiller. So maybe he he can give you, or we'll say Artavis Scott can give you ninety percent, maybe of what Ray Ray gives you, but. That, that added 10% of juice that Ray Ray gives you, he, he completely negates and, and, and fumbles or the risk of fumbles. So um, well, why even, why even you know, chance it? Granted, the weather was a, a bit of an issue, but uh, it, it's getting to the point where we're about to play some really tough competition. And obviously every game is a win or go home almost at this point. So it's, it's not worth uh, these, these huge momentum swings, especially against an opponent like Alabama, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, et cetera. Right. Um, otherwise, the only real troubling thing that I saw come out of this game was some of the whiffs on defense. And we saw a little bit of this against, you know, going back to Louisville, um, NC State in some spots, Florida State, and looked like against Pittsburgh as well. Uh, some plays to tight ends and some plays where linebackers either, you know, 
in coverage weren't necessarily in the right position to make a play or missed tackles really seem to, to plague this team um, in a couple of spots against Wake. So I don't necessarily know if that's a focus and motivation issue or strictly just, I mean, you look like guys make mistakes, but that was something that definitely you can't, that can let teams back into games or, you know, give teams insurmountable leads in bad spots in, in certain matchups that definitely was a discouraging element on Saturday. Right. It seems to me that the, the second, the back uh, end of the defense is a little slow, a little slow, um, missing some tackles, um, not getting off blocks. And these things to me point to fatigue, uh, the, the, the cumulative effect of a long season playing in that Brent Venables, very, uh, tough-minded, hard-nosed defense. Um, if, you, if you don't bring physicality, you don't play. So um, to me, that's I think that's kind of rearing its, its head, just a little bit of that. Um, hopefully, I guess with uh, the next two games, we'll get a little break. Hopefully, we can get past these next couple of hurdles so they can have that rest. And then I think what you saw like in the Oklahoma game last year after a few weeks, a uh, recharged defense, uh, and, it, and it helped on all levels. And I even think the, the the front end, or I'm sorry, the the front four, the defensive line. I'm not. I, I still think they're playing at an incredibly high level, but I think there's a little an extra level that they can get to. Um, and even if they just get to the quarterback, even if they can rush just a half second, uh, just a half second quicker, that changes the game. That makes everyone's life easier. So I think it'll it'll um, be a shot in the arm to get a little rest and permeate the kind of the whole entire the uh, the whole entire defense. Um, maybe one last thing. I know we were, we're jumping around a little bit. I want to say that the offense. We criticized a little bit last week about a lack of creativity. Frankly, we've uh, criticized a, a lot of the play calling and the, the not adding a lot, not showing a lot. But there was a lot of looks in the run game that I think allowed. Uh, one of them was, was the jet sweep, the guy in motion. Uh, another was Deshaun Watson in some inside zone. And whenever the defense has to account for that many things, uh, God, those those four or five, you know, six yards come a lot easier versus a a straight, um, you know, a gap uh, run for Wayne Gallman. Those yards just don't show up when there's nothing else uh, that the defense has to account for. So, uh, long story long, good job, uh, Tony Elliott, doing a few different things, giving the defense a few different looks that I think ultimately helped us a little bit get a few extra yards in the run game. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think some folks would argue, okay, you know, first quarter could not have been better from an offensive standpoint. Looking at how the second quarter started, immediately we had substitutions come in on the on the in the running back at the running back position, getting some CJ Fuller and um, you know into the game. And again, I think that's they saw what they needed to see out of the first quarter. You know, they they showed certain looks. You're not necessarily. I mean, I just I don't think there's a lot of value in you know a hostile road environment, cold weather. You know, beating up Wayne Gallman. You know, we we got to keep Wayne fresh for what we hope is a title run here. Um, you can definitely criticize, you know, the, let's put it away. Let's get to 42 points before you, um, before you start to do that kind of stuff. But I don't have a huge issue with it. I think, you know, that's, that's ultimately what happened here. And um, trust the defense, trust the team to, you know, protect a 28 point lead. And ultimately for the most part, they did. I know got a little closer, got down to about a 15 point margin um, into the third quarter, but Ultimately, you know, let's maybe put a bow on on this game summary. Like, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not too concerned over what we saw this past Saturday, in general. Uh, agreed, agreed. I, I will say, if anything, you know, I'm not the the resident sunshine pumper. 
but uh, th- I will say maybe I got more of a glimmer of hope in that first quarter where, like you said, it, it really mattered and everything else after that was just you know finishing out, taking care of business. Maybe a small glimmer of hope that when when we're putting giving the defense a lot of looks, that those those yards in the run game might show up and it, it might translate against higher level competition. So yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, bo- I think bullpen in it. Yeah, that was that was definitely one of the first times we'd seen that in some time, and um, and I I feel like you know as this team is able to move the ball on the ground, that's where our offense will go. That's where we'll um, be able to impact time of possession against you know much much tougher offenses down the stretch. And um, if we get the ground game and we have that effective and working, this team can go very deep this year. Um, with that though, Cody, I mean, I'd like to pivot. Certainly we've spent a lot of time this year pointing out elements of this team that could end up costing Clemson at some point in the year. And some of those tendencies of this team did cost Clemson a game against Pittsburgh. Uh, you could call it short yardage running. You could call it certain certain types of play on defense that cost this team a loss. But I think what what's generally been lost by us and you know a lot of Clemson fans, you know, keeping track of that through conversations with our friends and fellow alumni, or you know, keeping track of what's going on in social media. Like we're in the salad days of Clemson football at the moment. Um, you know, we're approaching. You know, we're on the better half of. You know, better half of the majority of a decade here with 10 win seasons under Dabo Sweeney, uh, second division title in a row we already mentioned. And, you know, I, I want to spend some time like asking you what you feel like has gone right this season. I think we could talk about all day, you know, offense did not live up to expectations. There's a lot of, you know, we've, we've been beating a dead horse on that front, but um, there's a lot of things I, I personally feel like have either exceeded expectations or worked out as we had hoped, um, or even potentially better. So, um, yeah, I'll flip it over to you. Like anything stick out to you as particularly memorable or surprising in a positive way about the 2016 season? Yeah. So you mentioned the offense, not living up to expectations. Well, it seems like we'll have a hard, we have a hard time really uh, remembering what we're talking about, what, two, three months ago, but when you, when you take into account how much we were discounting the defense coming into the season and, and the way that they've outperformed expectations, it's almost uh, it, it's almost equal to the way that the offense has underperformed uh, because they've been great. And it starts the defensive line. So I want to say one of the, the biggest uh, positive, and this is something that's been written about, it's nothing new, is the two-headed monster that will reside at defensive tackle for us next year. And, and that's Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. Christian Wilkins will probably be used all over the, the line of scrimmage. But this is more, not even this year, but just, wow. I'm, I'm really just, the, the, I get a, a certain like feeling in my gut when I think of Austin Bryant, we'll say, at, at strong side defensive end, Christian Wilkins at three, three technique, uh, Dexter Lawrence at nose tackle, and then Cleveland Farrell, Farrell with, at, uh, at weak side next year. That is, if that, that's, I gotta, I'm going to go on a limb and say it's probably the best defensive line in the country next year. And well, I, don't, Xavier, I don't know any. You got Xavier Kelly and you got Richard Eergan. I mean, you know, the depth behind them too. Uh, Ganu could come back, right? right. Uh, Nas Pinkney. There's there's a long list of guys. Yeah, not even considering the second second team. And I, and I don't know other teams or uh, other defensive lines in the nation, but I know ours is probably close to the best this year. So I just assume naturally uh, they'll, they'll get better. Um, so that's a starting point. And um, I don't know. We'll start there. What, what do you have as a, as a positive? I mean, I think. 
a lot of times I, I focus on advanced stats and talking about the S&P Plus, you know, Bill Connolly's advanced rating system. And coming into the year, you know, I, I do try to keep track of what, what we predicted and what, we, what our expectations were. And we were talking about having a top five offense, you know, potentially number one offense in the country. It, it's tough to claim number one because you get these gimmicky programs out there that, like Texas Tech, like Baylor, that play zero defense. They focus all their recruiting energy and play calling and their entire game scheme on, you know, just um, pass first and tons of yardage and all that. And that can, that can add up to a very effective offense. Uh, Clemson just crept into the top 10 offensively, by the way, in the S&P Plus. So, you know, if I, if I asked you on August 20th, let's say, would you be satisfied with the top 10 Clemson offense? You might not tell me that we were underachieving. And, you know, I think that goes back to what are our actual expectations and um, how much does does the eye test you know come into play here? But defense, no question, has exceeded expectations. I think we would have been happy with you know a top five offense and a top twenty, top twenty five, top thirty defense. That's kind of what we were talking about, knowing what we had lost going into the draft last year in the form of Kevin Dodd, Shaq Lawson, B.J. Goodson, Mac Alexander, and then our two headed safety you know tandem of T.J. Green and J. Ron Curse. Losing those guys, um, you know, in general, I think we would have expected taking a step back. And once more, Brent Venables getting the job done, not only coaching up the talent that he's got, but, you know, bringing leaders and leaders back to this team that, you know, seems like they've been there forever in Ben Boulware, um, Cordray Tankersley, who really, I mean, he, he came into last year, a little bit of a question mark playing opposite Mac and established himself. Um, was definitely not any type of a liability. I don't think this year he's, you know, he, he hasn't been as locked down as Mac was necessarily, but definitely took care of business. And all of that to say, culminating in, as of right now, you know, 11 weeks into the season, Clemson is number sixth defensively in the country. Um, and we'll see against, you know, South Carolina's offense and against Virginia, likely to be a Virginia Tech's offense if we can even move up in the rankings more than that. But, um, by all means, like defense is, has to be your number one thing in terms of what's been a positive this year. No, absolutely, and it's it's great to see that uh, whenever you whenever you have two sides of the ball and both fall in the top ten, uh, you have a chance to win a championship. And I think we were hovering around top thirty, top twenty five as an offense, which for a lot of offenses that's good. For a lot of teams out there in the country, that's good. We, we, but that that's just not good enough for for Clemson the talent that we have. But to see them finally. You move up, and you can you can see two units that could you know have that uh, combo effect, and the national championship is well within the the realm of possibilities. Uh, maybe a step further on the defense, though. Um, I look at Ryan Carter, and he's just one illustration. You could also point to Marcus Sedman. You could point to Jadar Johnson. These kind of these veteran uh, guys that have, have waited their turn, and uh, in a way, like they don't have the NFL upside. They don't have the J. Ryan Curse or T.J. Green type uh, athleticism and phys- uh, physical attributes. I, they kind of remind me of like in, in baseball, like utility infielders. Uh, they come in, they've they're they're taking over for uh, the star that got that got hurt for the season, but they come in and they're they're very disciplined. They're they're where they need to be. They're making the right plays. And Ryan Carter is a very small uh, a very small example, but. The way he's blown up uh, some some screen passes this year, I have to think he's probably the the hardest hitting linebacker. He would be the hardest hitting linebacker in the Kevin Steele era, and he's he's five eight one fifty. So um, 
kudos to him. Kudos to Mark Ed, Marcus Edmonds and, and the two plays he's made this year. Um, Jarr Johnson, I think, is a little bit in a, in a higher class just in terms of his overall ability. But still, just a tried and true senior who I swear, if he doesn't have a 45 inch vertical, man, he's he can he can get up. I would like to see him dunk a basketball. But uh, th- that trio in particular, though. Uh, and, and and not to undersell Tankersley, it's just that we kind of knew what he, we were getting from him. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'll point to on the back end of the defense. Yeah, la- last comment for me on the defense. I think that Kendall Joseph has definitely lived up to expectations, and in general, like you know, coming into the year, he's coming off an injury from last season. Question marks of could he be as effective? Could he give this team what? you know, the same type of player performance that B.J. Goodson gave a year ago. And completely different players. I think B.J. Goodson, what he, his strengths in in coverage, maybe Kendall Joseph makes up for in, um, you know, pursuit and tackling. Or, you know, the ability to um, contribute on on blitzes, etc. But in general, I I think, um, it's tough to say, but I, I feel like linebacker overall as a unit, um, may be the weakest link on the number six defense in the country, but I think that's that's not due to Kendall Joseph and any of his intensity or you know his ability to bounce back, which he has done admirably this year. Yeah, and maybe just to, just take it to Ben Bowler, a couple things on Ben Bowler. Teams and offenses have finally re- they figured out how to exploit him and get him in, into coverage, and it, it hasn't been pretty. But before that, and, he, and even play and play out, he is the energy. He's the lifeblood of the defense. And he's had a really, really good year on so many different levels. He's, he's, he's been an amazing tackler. He's great when he's, when he's firing uh, in, into, the, into those bullet blitzes. He's, been, he's very disciplined. He's, he's a, a naturally aggressive guy, but he's doing a good job of honing that aggression just a little bit so he can make the most of the play um, or not, not over – overstep his his bounds or his, his assignment and, and miss a potential running back so ha- he's had a great year and um it's just you know recently where we've we've had these these offensive coordinators coordinators getting um smart to his inability or his, his uh deficiencies in coverage so um yeah. kudos to him and and also thank you for you know some of the uh, wwe style tackles he's made this year <laughs> the suplex um clothesline against ones. boston college i mean <laughs> the clothesline the last second clothesline yeah it's beautiful absolutely um so you know an, enough said about the defense i think that's that's been a bright spot um maybe elsewhere you know moving before we go to the offense and you know i, I consider top 10 you know down the stretch and again it, s&p plus is not a goal in and of itself like moving into the top 10 but um, sometimes I think we are overly critical and this team has David Hale, you know, ESPN beat writer for the ACC has kept a close eye on Clemson. Periodically he'll post stats comparing 2015 Clemson in terms of yards per game, points per game, um, just a lot of other offensive efficiency categories. We are either on par with or exceeding the quote unquote success of last year's offense this, this deep into the season. And, doesn't seem like that would be the case, but I think we, we have a little bit of revisionist history or orange-tinted glasses looking back on a year ago. Um, you know, it was just a different feeling for us as fans, I think, um, you know, coming in with maybe lesser expectations to a year and seeing our team go undefeated in the regular season, take care of business, versus this year where we returned a lot of the same talent and, 
you know, we, we've kind of gotten a similar result in terms of playing on the field, but doesn't feel good enough, um, doesn't feel like they're playing up to their potential. And they may not be, but ultimately I think that, you know, goals are goals are in front of us. And, you know, I, I would still call this, you know, among Clemson's best offenses of all time, um, or certainly of the, of the Dabo Sweeney era in totality, um, you know, as it contributes to the full team. But I think, you know, where I wanted to go with the overall point was actually more on the special team side. And coming into the year, a big liability a year ago was, uh, was on the kicking game. And in particular, when Clemson was kicking the ball off after scoring umpteen touchdowns um, in a high-powered offense, we were concerned with teams getting either touchdowns on runbacks or, you know, significant yardage that put a lot of pressure on a very good defense. You know, this year we've got a very good defense yet again. But Greg Hugel has stepped up, and it, his touchback rate is considerably higher than a year ago, and you know has definitely been a positive this year. And I think that he can, you know, maintain that. Um, we saw a little bit of, you know, here and there uh, touchback uh, performance versus Wake, but you know we we know he's got the leg. He's he's focused on you know that that element of his technique and his and his kicking game, and um, that's been a positive for me overall. And it's something that really doesn't get acknowledge too much you know kickoffs are not the sexiest aspect of our team but man does it make a difference yeah that's a good one in a kickoff coverage all together uh you know kind of revamping that group different personnel has helped uh, i don't think we have the do we have the s p ratings handy it's fine if we don't yeah um i'll i'll take it a little bit to the offense and maybe just a quick theory um I think I think I realized I had an epiphany at some point why I think we, we have been so down a little downtrodden on this team and it's it's not that we 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 can't bring ourselves into some higher level perspective of, of a Clemson fan in the last five or ten years yeah we we get that we're thankful and this is a this has been a good year and we're still in the the national championship hunt we get that I think the national championship game from last year and not the fact that we lost it was how we lost with with boneheaded plays and busts. Um, some not not having the attention to detail that we had that we should have had, and hoping that on some level those things would be corrected, and there were just this newfound focus and and all that that pain from losing would just kind of pr- uh, pull through to the next year, and the players would would take that and, and, and use that as fuel and motivation, and and you would see this this bunch that executed and took out that frustration on every opponent on every play, and we haven't seen that, and I think. That's the reason we've been a little bit galled, I, I think, as Clemson fans. Um, that, anyway, just my theory. I, I, well, maybe not an epiphany for a lot of people, but for me it was. Well, yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're spot on in terms of defining why we have expectations. But let me ask you, like, if, if you think we're capable of producing the positivity from that game, the, just Deshaun Watson really – turning it on and playing his very best football in that game against the best defense. You know, they're talking about it as a historical defense. Let's assume we've at least got that gear, you know, still, you know, throw another cliche in there. We still have that kind of bullet in the chamber. Let's talk. I want to, I want to mention kind of those boneheaded plays or those mistakes, like of the downside moments in that national championship game, which by the way, I still haven't rewatched. But I remember OJ Howard. I remember, you know, an onside kick. I remember kickoff coverage. Have we corrected, like, do you feel confident that, that this coaching staff or this team of this year, you know, would we be likely to make those same mistakes from what you've seen? That's a good point. And with context and perspective, 
when you apply that, it actually it, it shows you that no, because the where the things the problems are kind of rearing their ugly head is in, is in a different area. It's like you you do everything you can, you put your energy, your your effort, your resources into one thing, and then something else pops up uh, on the other side that you're trying to to fix. Uh, particularly like the back end of the defense, we don't have the athleticism, we don't have the NFL players in, in, in some cases back there, but there is a certain bend, don't break. Um, discipline that the, that our secondary has, so that that is a problem that was corrected. Um, the special teams, like you were just saying, I think the, those same things are unlikely to rear their head in a in a game of consequence or of significance. So, um, th- yeah, I mean, if you look at it like that, things have been corrected, and it's it's where the the attention to detail and the 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 stupid you know turnovers and fumbles and things like that are, are happening on the offense. That's where those those things are manifesting themselves. So. Hey, you, you talk about having another gear. Looking at that offense against Alabama, and it's a very s- same personnel for the most part. It's still there. That gear, st- that gear's still there. You saw it against Louisville at times. You've seen it through um, certain points throughout throughout the season. So there's still like this this beast of a team. I feel like that we haven't even come close to hitting our potential. I guess the only question would be, will we hit that potential though? Because yeah, so far we haven't. Yep. Yeah. And- impossible to answer but you know in the right spots against the right you know tough teams definitely have shown you know the ability to get to that level so um i don't know i mean plenty of positives we've touched on you know certainly within the offense i think guys like wayne gallman jordan leggett you know coming back um this season have lived up to what we would hope from them in this which will probably be both their final year um that's been great you know I don't want to sit. I still want to talk about Deshaun Watson as uh, continuing to to improve in certain spots. And you know, no, he he has not given us the same Deshaun Watson looks of the North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Alabama stretch in every single game this year. But you know, by all rights, his stats are very impressive, and he he still is Clemson's greatest quarterback of all time, um, unless you know the Taj Boyd defenders out there want to want to debate that one but um what do you think <laughs> I, well i'm president of that club so you know, I, I think he's overtaken uh, taj boyd uh with all, all due respect to taj boyd because he i think he was i think he's still underrated um but yeah he, he's definitely and he's had a great year too uh, you know ben said it we've we've lifted our standards so high and the things that we expect from deshaun watson it, it's so high that we, he can't possibly live up to our own expectations but he still had a great year Mike Williams, let's go to him for a second. He's had some stupid drops and he shouldn't, or you know, bad plays, and he shouldn't have, he shouldn't be dropping the ball. But he's also had about, you know, the same and amount fumbles as well, you know. But yeah, right, fumbles, and, and a couple of those were you know, him trying to extend a play. But you know, still, he shouldn't be making those. He's had a few catches, and it's more than a few. It's probably closer to 10, 15, maybe even twenty catches that. Uh, they have to be in the in the in the 99th percentile. He he, that not there's very few. Uh, wide receivers in college football that will make the same plays that he's made this year and we that's something we'll lose sight of but he he wasn't there to make those plays last year and there were a lot of we're looking to that go-to receiver and is it going to be sure on peak and it's, it's at points he emerged at, po- at points he didn't sometimes Deion Kane would step in but we have a, a, a tried and true guy this year um and not and that's not to say it that's sell Hunter Renfro short because that guy is a terrific route runner he's been a certain uh, tried and true in his own way, and and yeah. then maybe lastly Jordan Leggett, who we wanted to see him as 
you know, put it all together. And, and his usage has kind of wavered. But when, when we have made uh, him a priority in our offense, he looks every bit of a, a, an NFL tight end. And he's been incredible. We'd like to see him block better. But, hey, you know, it, we'll take what we can get. He's a, he's a tremendous NF, or a tight end at the college level. And we'll end up playing in NFL someday. Well, and I, I do want to remind you and our listeners – we lost to Alabama by five points without the services of Mike Williams or Deion Kane one year ago. Um, again, Hunter Renfro played out of his mind. I hope he has another game at Clemson as, as good as that Alabama game. Um, but, yeah, do I like our chances going into the playoff with both Mike and Deion there? Absolutely. Um, just a matter of can Deshaun get them the ball. So, um, yeah, things bode well. I mean, in general, like, let's let's kind of move, move off the sunshine train for a moment. But, um you know, Clemson's going to be a double-digit favorite in our final two games, most likely of the regular season and the ACC title. Um, you know, a lot of goals ahead of us still. So, you know, trying to savor this and enjoy it and appreciate it as much as possible. It's okay to have expectations, but I think it's also important to have perspective uh, as well. So, um, you know, certainly maybe tomorrow, let's get back to focusing on where this team needs to improve, but let's also not, you know, lose sight of, what's been great this year too right there with you um before we move on and let's get into this palmetto bowl coming up in a, a few short days here wanted to just take a moment to encourage all, all of our listeners we welcome you guys um a lot of new listeners coming in if you're listening to us and you made it this far and you're a south carolina fan uh, we are also happy to have you um this is probably the part of the show you want to listen to which is our preview of this game but um, wanted to encourage everyone to subscribe to us, um, both the podcast itself in your smartphones, podcasting app, whatever you use to listen to other shows. Um, if you're looking for a recommendation for an app, um, I personally favor Overcast. Um, I use an iPhone, and it, it's available there on the App Store. Um, iPhone has its own podcast app. You can find us there. Just search for Clemson Podcast. Uh, if you use an Android device, Podcast Addict, and Stitcher are both pretty good. And then a lot of people listen to us streaming directly through SoundCloud and through the SoundCloud app. Um, through SoundCloud directly, you can also download our shows if you prefer to do that and listen offline. Um, so appreciate you guys following us, telling your friends, spreading the word about the podcast. Um, we are also on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Clemson Podcast on both of those. Um, we stay pretty active on both platforms. And... Um, you know, mention us, tweet at us, whatever. We will engage with you back. Um, Cody, got anything to add? Yeah, I'll just I'll give a quick plug for TigerNet because we are partnered with them this year. Um, they work with uh, some of the guy, the you know, B Meist, who is you know the, the head guy there. He, terrific guy, Clemson guy. Um, great, does a great job. Um, I always remind people like support Clemson people. Uh, Tiger Nets, it's it's a great place to go to get just everything you want in terms of like that post game coverage uh, to to see the the interviews, to see the articles, um, to kind of recap the game, but also uh, player interviews and things like that. I I enjoy that. I immerse myself in that, and I should because I'm I'm you know I do a podcast. But even if you're just you know a fan, you know you can you can take a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of enjoyment in, in, in seeing a Brent Venables interview and to see uh, Dabo Sweeney's interview. So definitely go check that out. Make that part of your F Clemson fan experience, and uh, it'll it'll be better, especially when you're on you know on the hills of another playoff and hopefully a, a national championship. 
yeah, and in particular, I think this week is, you know, if you're listening to us and you favor, you know, you're, you got your own sense for what Clemson media you like to consume. I think of all the weeks of the year, rivalry week, you know, SC hate week, if you will, is the time to go there. Um, they do a great job digging up archival stuff from past weeks, past rivalry games, um, do a decent job trolling Carolina as well over there. So, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've been entertained all week over at TigerNet. Um, and certainly, you know, the boards are always a good place to get a laugh as well, if, if nothing right. else. Hey, hey, we might be divided as a country, but uh, as Clemson fans, the one tried and true is, is TigerNet. You can't, you can't be a, like a, a diehard Clemson fan and not go to TigerNet. It, it, it binds us all. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, before we get into actually previewing this year's installment, of the Palmetto Bowl. Cody, I thought um, it'd be good to spend some time and prep for this this show. Taking a look at South Carolina and the state of their program, um, one year ago when these teams met, uh, they were in a much different place than they are today. Um, they were under interim head coach Sean Elliott. No one really expected him to get that head coaching job, but uh, they, were, they were in a much worse position than they are today. Um, and when you think about you know where they are in a re- complete real rebuilding and overhaul process, it really did not just start this year. Um, if you, you know, really the Steve Spurrier era sort of ground to a, a steady decline over his last one to two seasons. So this has been kind of a long time coming for for South Carolina, and the fact that Will Muschamp, first year head coach here, he's on his second major head coaching stint in the SEC. Um, you know, I, I, I can't help but look at their season here. Um, they've they've made bowl eligibility. I can't help but look at that as, you know, considering the state of their program when you took that over, this seems like a pretty successful first year, you know, all things considered. I have to agree. I think if you look at a, you know, an, a, a grade skill, I, I don't know how you could say it's not an A. If, you know, you could say you're A minus, B plus, but w- w- considering the talent they've had that, Really, I mean, Steve Spurrier left them high and dry. Uh, the cupboard was very bare when he left. And the fact that, like you said, Muschamp comes in here, he's, I mean, they're bowl eligible. That's, they, they had no, I mean, this, this year was just to, just to kind of build, build a culture for them. And they've done that. And they've, they, you know, we'll talk about the recruiting trail a little bit. They're starting to, to pile up some talent that, that's going to come in. Um, their defense has been respectable. Uh, I have to say it's a it's a overwhelming success, and at least compared to what it could have been. Yeah, and you know, as, as Clemson fans, it, I, I don't know how deep we look at the actual results of their games. You know, I think early first few weeks of the season, it was very fun for us to look over and be like, oh, they struggled. They only beat Vandy by a field goal, or um, you know, the certain team or certain games that they lost by considerable margin early on. You know, it. <laughs> Certainly this show, we always call them out at the very end for what happens with them. But, um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that Clemson, we, we're lucky. I don't even, I don't know that at any point, maybe you'd have to go back to the end of the Tommy West era to see where we had a new coach come in with the same circumstance that Muschamp did. Um, and, you know, Tommy Bowden turned it around for us somewhat. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I think all things considered, you know, within a one-year period, they're moving in the right direction. And we have to consider, as Clemson fans, you know, we're going to play this team going forward quite a bit. And we made jokes, I made jokes on Twitter, like, it'd be great if our mandatory rivalry game every year didn't hurt our strength of schedule. I think we're going to start to see that flip. You know, I don't know that necessarily next season 
they're going to be ranked by the time we play. But two years from now, I'd be surprised that they were not. Good point. First thing, I don't know if we want to get too deep into this as we talk about South Carolina, but the SEC East is down. That's no secret to anyone. And, and depending on the person you ask and how uh, how much their blood runneth orange, uh, you know that will depend on how much they'll tell you the SEC East is down. But it is certainly down. It looks a lot more like the ACC Coastal of years past, and that has been a, a you know a certain. It, it's factored into some of their success, beating a you know what we thought was a national championship contender in Tennessee and. And um, Florida not being the you know the 2009 version of Florida, uh, they they've been able to beat uh, a lot of or they they won some games that were against teams that are very beatable in the SEC East, and that hasn't been the case in previous years. Their SEC West uh, schedule hasn't been that tough. That's a big part of it. Um, so you know I don't I don't know if you want to you want to start there. But, yeah, I mean maybe yeah. we could take just a moment to calibrate like what's the state of some of their competing teams in the SEC East. And um, there's kind of like three three categories. I would say the class of that division right now, like it or not, is Florida. And Jim McElwain is an offensive-minded head coach. He was under Nick Saban at Alabama. He, then he went to, I think, Colorado State as a head coach and then was hired at Florida to replace Muschamp. Um, they won the East for the second year in a row. Not going to be long before McElwain gets his quarterback, gets his offensive system humming. I think Florida is the class of the conference. They're certainly not an Urban Meyer level Florida, but you know they're the team to beat. Then you've got the teams on the upswing, and I think you could put South Carolina in that group. You know, tentatively, maybe they're on the low end of that group. I'd also put Georgia in that group, and they've underachieved this year. They they're not hitting that Mark Richt, you know, nine win, ten win kind of but not getting over the hump level that, or standard that he had set there. Um, Would you say on the upswing or just that you think they'll get to a higher level and, and stay at that level? I've, yeah, well, I guess maybe I, maybe I should put Georgia more in the question mark category. I'm just confident that with all the resources and with Kirby Smart that they may get to that upswing level. But yeah, maybe let's not put them in that upswing category yet. Um, maybe we'll put Georgia in the question mark category. I'd put Tennessee squarely in that question mark category. You don't know if Butch Jones, I don't think he's going to get, there hasn't really been that much chatter about them making a coaching move away from Butch Jones there, but certainly this year has been nothing short of a, of a disappointment and in a long-running era of disappointment since they moved on from Phil Fulmer up there in Knoxville, um, and I don't necessarily know that things are going to get better for them. We joke as Clemson fans about you know raiding the state of Tennessee for our recruits, and that's going to, that's going to, you know, take a toll on their ability to compete going forward. So we may have already seen kind of the apex of what Tennessee has to offer under this coaching staff already with, you know, Josh Dobbs. And um, now they've got guys, you know, leaving Tennessee um, as well, like not only decommitting, but transferring out of the program. So um, yeah, Tennessee is questionable. I think Mizzou is also kind of a rudderless ship. And then let's call Kentucky, put them in the same category. The one team that is on the upswing, though, I think is Vanderbilt under Coach Derek Mason. Um, and again, they're not, they're not going to be competing for national titles, but they're no longer, I, I don't think, going to be the doormat of that division. So if you sort of consider, like, where would you calibrate, where would you put South Carolina in there? You know, I think Georgia has probably got an advantage from, you know, money and alumni base and the, the fact that they're in the state of Georgia. Um, Kirby Smart, you know, this is his first year, too. Uh, I don't necessarily, I mean, 
hardcore Georgia fans might have expected him to come in and eclipse Mark Rick's, you know, win totals of, of your, uh, I don't think that was realistic, but it's probably a matter of time before Georgia kind of is competing for that title spot. But I'd probably put South Carolina kind of in the three, four position here in that division. Yeah. With, uh, with in, in any given year, they could, they could jump into potentially a front runner or at least a, a legitimate, uh, contender in that, in the SEC East against the Florida or, uh, improving Georgia starting with maybe maybe Georgia I'm, I'm really surprised when we talk about the cupboard being bare for South Carolina Kirby Smart went in there with a lot of good talent that's that's the one thing one reason I think uh, Georgia might have a very low ceiling uh, under Kirby Smart we'll see that you know the book is still out on him and his ultimate upside as a, as a head coach but they have to have a very I would think they're hitting their floor right now it's not that it's a pretty high floor because they still bring in amazing talent. They're in a recruiting hotbed that's, you know, one of the top five in the nation in terms of state recruiting. Um, I, I just can't see them falling too far. It's it's it is surprising to me that they've had the year that they've had. You talked about Tennessee, and man, I I, can't, I don't know why my heart goes out to Tennessee. I, I, their fans are the worst, <laughs> but <laughs> but man, they they had if they were ever gonna get into the striking distance of a playoff, it was this this year with the down SEC East. With really a, a down SEC, no one will say that. But the, aside from Alabama, they 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 had a very manageable schedule. Uh, Clemson, <laughs> you could say Clemson had a um, comparable schedule uh, minus Alabama. So it, anyhow, I, Tennessee that was their chance. I feel like I think I, I, like you said I, they they may move on from Butch Jones. Hey, you know Saban's not waiting at the door. Urban Meyer's not waiting at the door to the to, to, to teach or to coach the. Uh, the volunteers, um, the, those jo- those slots are taken, and I can't see them. I see them only taking a step backwards. So, so it leaves South Carolina, the square the door squarely open for South Carolina to go in and win a very manageable and, and winnable SEC East. For, the Florida Gators potentially could be could be the team, like you said, the top the top dogs. I could see that, um, but but this is. Yeah. I, again, I see the Gamecocks in kind of the upper third or upper tier of that division in the next two to three years. That's going to have an effect on their ability to recruit. You know, it is the SEC, and we're so sick of hearing conference pride and they've got a network and how overhyped they are. And, you know, that's, that's still very much our sentiment. But fact is, it's going to help in recruiting. And I think we as Clemson fans should be aware that, you know, the days of them being necessarily the doormat are over. I don't necessarily see them getting to you know, the three years in a row of 10 win seasons, you know, possibly 11 win seasons, you know, that we had during the, the dreaded streak. But, you know, they, they could get there and they've got a much younger coach um, than they had previously. So um, I think they're, they're, you know, they are a team on the upswing. They're not there yet, though. Right. And, and just because your, your stock is trending up, well, your, your stock was really, you, know, you, were, you were selling it, you know, $3 a share just last year. It's, it's easy for your stock to trend up. Uh, when you're when you're that low, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to continue that trajectory and and to keep and to keep improving. But they are they are rapidly improving. We'll we'll give them credit for that. I mean, some facts still remain though. You know, they're they're at an institution that I don't know the state of the finances in their athletic department, but you know, they, they definitely aren't as they get, they have a tremendous deal in terms of participating in the SEC with the SEC network you know, revenue sharing, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, there are, there are some headwinds there to improving. And, you know, from a facilities advantage standpoint, I think Clemson is squarely 
investing in the right areas to be very competitive nationally and in the region. Um, and that's borne fruit in terms of recruiting and other things, you know, what we pay our coordinators and what we've been able to do with Dabo Sweeney's salary and contract. So um, we'll see how their alumni base responds to that and how they're able to work with their resources and assets. You know, I think that's something that we don't take as close of a look at. We just look for what happens on Saturdays and what, you know, who they're signing and their recruiting classes and all that. But, you know, this is a game of money as well. I have, no, absolutely. I think that's a great point. He's, I think Muschamp has won over a lot of the fans. He, he's selling hope, you know, make South Carolina great again. And I think he's, uh, the, the, you know, the Kool-Aid has been, has been, uh, distributed. They're, yeah. distributed. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they have his back. And, uh, I think with that, you start getting support by the administration and, and by obviously, um, the, on the recruiting trail, you can start to sell that to recruits and, like you said, it's starting to bear bear some fruit. So, well, I wanted uh, to ask you. I mean, we, we yeah. spoke earlier in the year about recruiting and um, about, more about Clemson putting up, you know, walls in the state of South Carolina. Or, I mean, clearly we've had success going into Florida, going into Georgia, North Carolina, even you know, up in Yankee Country. Uh, Cody, I know you among all of us on the podcast here, you keep the closest eye on recruiting. What can you say about their success head-to-head with Clemson or you know, where they're likely to make their gains in the coming years? Well, they've already, I think they've already had a, a, a great start under you know, Coach uh, Muschamp because dating back to last year, and, and they had very little to sell. You have to understand how, much, how, how hard it must be initially going into a recruit's house and, 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 and having very little to you know, a, a very poor record. But they, you know, they started off. They, uh, Byron Edwards, a wide receiver from last year, we he was going to go to Clemson. He would have gone to Clemson if we would have taken him as a wide receiver. We only wanted him as, as a safety. He went to South Carolina. Well, he's already off to a great start as a as a wide receiver as a freshman. Um, and you start to see it this year. Uh, you have a couple of guys that we've lost out to, uh, particularly in-state wide receiver Clemson legacy. Um, or Trey Smith out of, I think it's, uh, I don't want to get it wrong, I think it's Wando. Um, a- anyhow, uh, down in Charleston, uh, or Trey Smith, a top 100 receiver. Sure, we have our pick of the litter with receivers, but you don't want to miss out on a, on a top 100 in-state guy, and, and we did. Clemson Legacy, we missed out on him. Uh, we, we, were, we tried to slow play him. You know, we were, we're worrying about you know, top, you know, five-star guys, and, and we, we slow played and we lost to them. And, or, and you know, they, they swooped in. They sold him, hey, you're going to be our number one guy. And that's what they're selling. Hey, you're going to be a star here. We never do that. We, we always, you know, kind of taper the, the salesmanship and what we can promise so we don't have to, uh, what, what's it called, de-recruit once they get onto campus. And then the last guy was Jameis Williams, who was a, a cornerback. Um, he, another guy that got wooed by the, Hey, you're going to be our number one cornerback. You're going to be, you're going to be our go-to guy. So, and and that's not to say we've had a terrific, uh, secondary class this year. So it's not to say that we're losing out on guys. We're we're actually getting guys that are, that are better, but they have, they're, they're starting to fill up those, uh, the the depth chart with some legitimate four star, maybe even five star talent where it gets really interesting is in 2018, uh, this, this current junior class rising senior. Uh, class where we have two players in the top 150 or in, in the top 50 including the number one overall player by some services Xavier Thomas a defensive end out of Florence I believe uh, that could be a huge swing there's actually a third guy um, Stefan Wynn out of Anderson T.L. Hanna 
also a Clemson legacy, uh, who is a defensive end, probably defensive tackle, but he's a top 100 guy. So three guys in the top 100, um, and, and that that cycle could really swing some momentum. And I'm not saying the in-state uh, recruiting will will be what um, ultimately you know decides this this rivalry. But this 2018 class, you know, it, it can matter just the way that Javion Clowney mattered, I think, a lot when we, we lost on him to USC back in 2010, maybe, 2011. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think for them to get back into relevance and competing in this rivalry and really exceeding where they've ever been as a program, you know, competing for a conference title uh, and, you know, uh, New Year's Six Bowls and, God forbid, a playoff. Um, it's going to happen with recruiting, and it seems like Muschamp has that team moving in the right direction, as does his offensive coordinator, Kurt Roper, um, who, you know, you mentioned a couple of the receivers they were able to pull there. Muschamp, everyone knows about his days in Florida. Offense was not his focus, so um, it seems like Roper is also establishing himself, you know, as, an, you know, as capable of pulling in talent and uh, also developing developing the incoming talent into something on the football field that looks like a pretty solid product. Um, they've got a freshman quarterback who, you know, is definitely proving to be pretty capable there. So um, I think in general, I mean, I don't, you know, if, if, you, if you're very anti-South Carolina, it's not super cause for concern. I just think, you know, that we should not expect prolonged ineptitude in Columbia if we're, if we're being honest Clemson fans. Yeah, and maybe we should end with like a hard, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the game um, really quick, um, but end with this, this program is on the upswing. You know, we're, we're, I think we're speaking somewhat highly of Will Muschamp and the things he's done. Where does that leave us uh, versus our trajectory? What, what's our stock relative to theirs? And we're still floating, I think, high, high above them. But it is, it is something I think every, um, every year it's going to be a competitive game, which I think is good. I think it's good to have that, that, that end of your schedule, a, a strong rivalry, and not just one of, you know, that's, this is what we you know, pin our season on, like, w which is what it used to be. Hopefully we'll win the in-state rivalry. No, it's not like that anymore. That's just part of hopefully a build-up to a playoff. Um, so th I, I think they're still, like you said, I think maybe you mentioned earlier, a, a potential top 25 perennial type team. I still think we're a legit top 10 perennial team. Uh, but hey, you know, top a twenty-one ranked team can take down the number ten team, uh, and it happens all the time. So I'd say one out of every three, four years, you know, they they could potentially beat us. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you, you consider half these games get played in Columbia. Um, we we're capable of losing to an unranked team at any time. We haven't done it in a couple of years, but um, never know what happens. And you know, a year from now, we're going to be rebuilding at a lot of positions on this team, and we're confident in recruits we have coming in, et cetera. Um, tough to predict the future in this sport, especially with the turnover of players. And, you know, you might see a little bit of shakeup in the Atlantic. Um, I personally feel like Louisville is Bobby Petrino. Who knows how long he'll be there? Lamar Jackson's one player. You know, certainly they had Teddy Bridgewater before him, but are they really a place that gets that type of offensive talent consistently? I don't think so. Um, and then Florida State, Jimbo Fisher may be gone. So we may be entering an era where it is Clemson's division for the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, that last season, that last game of the season will continue to loom large if we're going to compete for playoff spots every year. So hopefully it's a game that is going to be improving our position and improving our track record and strength of schedule. You know, I, for one, welcome a competitive rivalry. 
Right. If you look back to last year, I mean, I, I, it was uh, nothing to win type of, of affair. We we almost lost, and yeah. and again, like there's there was nothing that, there was nothing that we could have won. I mean, we we go into Columbia and and we we beat them like we should. Well, yeah, you're supposed to, or you lose, you win by just I think five, whatever we won by. Well, Clemson's got their holes, you know. So yeah, I'd rather it be a stronger rivalry. Granted, I don't want them to be a uh, a top ten team every year. I don't want them to get that good, but <laughs> I think it's fair to to ask for them to be a you know, top twenty five friends team, and and that's that makes for a, a respectable rivalry. Right. Uh, well, with that, Cody, let's pivot to this weekend's game. So this game's at Clemson. It is a night game. I think by that point, I'm not sure if we're going up head to head with any games like the Iron Bowl or anything like that. But um, in general, you know, this is going to be under the under the bright lights at Death Valley. I think that bodes well for Clemson. Um, this, you know, Clemson team coming back into Death Valley, coming off the last game, there was a loss to Pittsburgh. Uh, I think the fans will be hopefully warm, maybe warmed by all day tailgating uh, by that point, but going to be a very hostile environment in general and uh, going to be very important, I think, for Clemson to uh, come in and establish, you know, this game and, and put it away early is something we all want them to do. But I think really come in and, and treat this game with the type of focus that it it demands and it deserves. Um, you mentioned a year ago we almost lost. You know we had a five point victory against a much less talented, you know, much more poorly coached team led by Sean Elliott a year ago. Um, they're in disarray. They're coming off a loss to the Citadel. If you guys remember that, this year you know they've got a talented quarterback. They are bowl eligible. You know, they have a lot of momentum and positivity and, um, you know, yes, they're coming off a loss. Uh, I'm sorry, they're coming off a win to Western Carolina, coming off a recent loss to Florida. But this team is, as we mentioned, you know, a motivated opponent and they're much more capable than a team a year ago that, you know, only had a five point deficit to us. So um, they'll be they'll be ready to play. And, you know, judging by a few of the home games we've had this year, you know, if you if you don't have your guard up, if you don't play 100% focused, that can quickly turn into a game that you didn't want to be in um, for this Clemson team. So I think the number one thing for me is, you know, what I'm looking for from Clemson is that we be the the more physical, more focused team um, in this game and treat it as really the championship game that it is in terms of the state, but it also is in terms of our ability to continue to pursue goals for this year. Right, it's it's fair. I mean, you can you can uh, safely assume that the the players. Um, I, I shouldn't say safely assume, but it's it's reasonable to think that the players don't get up for this game like it's the Super Bowl, like maybe they did ten years ago, because there are much bigger things that Clemson players are playing for. the The same cannot be said for the USC guys. It it is their Super Bowl. It is their championship. They can really hang their hat on this whole game. If they win this, 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 their year is an overwhelming success if they win this game against Clemson. I still think Clemson will get up for the game uh, without, without a doubt. And what I'm looking for, like you said, is, is passion and energy. And you can see that. I think it really starts with a defense. Um, I, I want to see a lot of penetration. Jake Bentley, their freshman quarterback, is it, he's looked good so far. And I think we have to uh, properly consider uh, how, how their team has changed and it's not uh, night and day but it is they are an improvement on offense which was uh, I guess utterly incompetent before he stepped into the fold and now um, a I guess middling offense maybe now <laughs> so <laughs> right. 
so so I, I think if we can get pressure on him the way that Florida was able to get pressure on him and, and really shut down the run game, which hasn't been good all year long, then we can. I mean, it's going to be virtually impossible for them to win this game, you know, and that's that's tough to say. But it really, when you can really cut the head off the snake with their offense and it starts there, I think uh, I think there's uh, it's going to be tough for them to really hang in the game. Yeah, and really the the marquee win of that team this year was versus Tennessee and. Um, I, I don't know how much you tracked that game or went back and looked, but I mean, would you say that's something that Tennessee didn't wasn't able to do that allowed South Carolina to and, and Bentley to move the ball and put up points and ultimately you know take over that game? Right, and a couple of things to consider in that game, and I, I I have not watched South Carolina very closely at all. You know, full disclosure, I'm watching Florida State, I'm watching Louisville, I'm watching Alabama, I'm not watching South Carolina. Sorry. Um, but in that game, Tennessee had a lot of injuries. I think two of their offensive linemen were injured. Uh, they had just coming off of really what was a heartbreaking, realizing, coming to grips with, hey, we're not going to win the national championship this year. We just got our ass beat by Bama, uh, I think the week before, a couple weeks before they lost A&M. So they were really, uh, you know, they, were, they, they, weren't, they weren't going in a great direction. And they go into Columbia, and it was a, a letdown game that was just waiting to happen. So, you know, let's take that with a grain of salt, the fact that they did beat Tennessee, but still, uh, you know, a good a good win nonetheless. And um, I, I think with with Bentley, you get you get a guy that's going to be a good quarterback. He's he's accurate. He I think he has a great pocket presence. He he um, he understands when it's collapsing, and it will be collapsing on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see what he does and the decisions he makes against on the road this time. And you know that ultimately could be their you know their one saving grace if they can stay in this game and find some guys. Uh, when things do break down, when we do get overly aggressive, which we which we're known to do, right? And I think that's where some of the the busts or the breakdowns in coverage, you know, could keep a South Carolina in this game, could give a young quarterback confidence, and unfortunately to say, it could take the crowd out of the game too. So I think you know initially in the game, keeping the keeping the fan base in it um, from the defensive standpoint is going to be important, and some of that might come down to, you know certainly scheme and how aggressively we go after the quarterback. Um, if that's not working, if South Carolina's offensive line is able to play out of their minds, um, you know, that might require some adjustment. But um, something worth noting, you know, certainly Bentley gives them a new look on offense, but it's still the same defense that's played all year. And, and that same defense is actually in the bottom 10 in the country in terms of allowing 10-plus um, yard runs as a percentage of all run plays. We know Clemson has a very capable run game when we're able to get things going. Um, I think that comes primarily when you show diverse looks, when you involve not only Wayne Gallman you know, through a power run style approach, uh, but also get Deshaun Watson going in the running game. And you know they do allow chunk yardage, but I think also this is an opportunity to exploit their running defense and potentially Clemson's ability to control time of possession, control field position, and really just you know, exert our will on offense on this defense. Right. You, you mentioned they're, they're, they're willing to give up. Well, for one, I don't think they have quite the personnel up front to stop our run and do it consistently, but they're also willing to, to give up a little bit in the run game and, and, and to, to try to be kind of a bend, don't break on the back end. And I mean, you know, credit to, to, to Muschamp because I think he's done a good job with their defense with the talent that he has, but Hey, we need we need a launch pad for uh, to establish a run game. Maybe a launch pad for more confidence to find a consistent run game. Maybe this is it. You mentioned diverse looks. 
Absolutely. We, we played Deshaun Watson on one leg two years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, say, say what you want. I like, at least like to think. And I think, well, last year, I think we, I think we, I think he had a, he ran the ball about 20 times. And just for perspective there, uh, I think uh, he was, he only got a 20 in the last four games of the year. And, and th- those were obviously USC, UNC, and then the two playoff games. So um, they're, they're, they, tr- they, do, they do treat this game very seriously. The Clemson staff, uh, maybe even more seriously than they should. Um, but th- the point being, you know, you're going to see uh, Watson involved in the run game. So it, it would be good to see a you know four, five, six yard average uh, per run uh, type game against them. And if no reason to get cute in the pass game, just if you can establish that rain, uh, the run game and kill them with it, then do it. Right. And I I think what you could also say if if they like to you know if you're going to get your bones against them, it's in in the running game. I also don't think South Carolina has faced any team with anywhere near the, the capable passing attack of a Clemson. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can get that going too. Um, maybe let's let's try to see if they have the talent and uh, the scheme and the discipline to shut down our passing attack as well. But I think starting with with the run game would be would be prudent. Good point. They they it, it's the SEC East, man. That's a that's a bottom feeder. <laughs> There's no. Uh, there's no Deshaun Watsons in the SEC East. Exactly. Um, you know, elsewhere, South Carolina's got pretty, let's flip it, you know, on the offensive side. And, you know, these stats are, are season long. So um, it's possible that Bentley, you know, has changed the complexion of um, how quickly their offense operates and get at, gets out of the snap and everything else. But um, they are in the bottom five nationally in terms of allowing tackles for loss. Clemson, on the other hand, um, is on the flip side of that. We are very effective at um, tackles for loss, you know, not only as a result of the blitzes that we run with our linebackers, but you're starting to see, you know, corner blitzes, et cetera, work. And we have a very effective defensive line, as we've said time and time again here. So that's something I think if, you know, continue to pressure um, Bentley, but also if they're trying to get things going in the in the screen game or, or other areas, um, staying on assignment and producing tackles for loss, that's another way that we can flip the, flip the ball. And absolutely, and and the only their only saving grace, in my opinion, is 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 Jake Bentley and his and his decision making. And I think everyone in the Upstate uh, who who knows Burns High School and knows about Bobby Bentley, I mean, you know that you know his pedigree. Uh, you know he's you know, he's a uh, his dad's a football wizard. You know he's probably not too far behind. And I think we're all kind of we hope he he, he kind of fades or fizzles under the bright lights in Death Valley. But I think there's a there's a part of us that we're a little bit scared, even if we don't admit it, that his decision making decision making can ultimately um, be the thing that gives them life. And, and otherwise, if he if he does succumb to our our pass rush, our penetration, especially at the, the you know defensive tackle, um, then uh, it, it's going to be a long night for him, uh, but that's that is th- right there in the line of scrimmage. That is where the game will be decided ultimately, I believe. Yeah, it's a fair bet. Uh, I think something else that we're going to see this will be a kitchen sink game from them as a coaching staff. You know, we're going to see gadget plays, trick plays. I wouldn't be surprised if they try everything that's worked against Clemson against us here and see what they can get going from you know shovel passes to uh, flea flickers. <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll see if I don't know if we would bite on their running back, uh, running up the middle as much. But we'll we'll have to see about that. But um, yeah, I mean, just you know, again, I think it's it's going to be a matter of 
Clemson's players not um, not biting on the. It, it kind of goes back to the Auburn game, right? We were talking about um, not getting too hung up on what Gus Malzahn's throwing at you pre-snap, um, staying disciplined, staying on your assignment, and that'll that'll certainly play out here too. Yeah, I, I agree. The kitchen sink. You saw it last year. Yeah, you're you're going to see it again this year. It's it's it is their national championship. So yeah. Uh, one other, I mean, one other potential factor that can make this a closer game than not that I don't know that we have a definitive answer on today, and we're recording this Tuesday, is the status of true freshman defensive tackle, really nose tackle Dexter Lawrence. Um, understanding, you know, is he going to play? Yesterday he was seen in kind of like a walking boot. Um, I think he came out of that game against Wake in the late third quarter. Uh, we we hope Dex is on the mend and is able to go against South Carolina. We need him um, in terms of depth, especially with Scott Pagano being out for the time being. So that'll be one to keep an eye on. I mean, if he's not able to suit up and go, maybe we see Christian Wilkins move back into the tackle position. Maybe you see Austin Bryant start. Maybe see Richard Maury Richard Yergin come in and play. But um, let's hope we got big Dex out there. Right, I think QT said it. You can whenever you can move Wilkins inside, and you still have great guys on the outside with with depth that Jurgen gives you. Uh, I, I feel pretty good about still um, getting a consistent uh, rush and consistent pressure and, into their backfield. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to put a prediction out there for this game, Cody. I mean, the the current spread is in the the low to mid twenties right now. You know, I'm. For whatever reason, I never feel comfortable picking a rivalry game margin, you know, outside of double digits, you know, too too far outside of low double digits. So um, we'll definitely put our our final podcast predictions out on Twitter and Facebook toward the end of the week. But um, I personally feel like this one's probably going to be closer than three scores. Uh, but I definitely like the Tigers in this one. I'm going to go the other way because that's the only way I can potentially get back into the challenge. I can't get back into the challenge. I think I'm uh, uh, mathematically uh, eliminated. But I, I, I think Clemson got a taste of what a championship feels like, even though it was just a division championship. Um, not, not to discount it. But uh, I, I think they, they, they got that champion, the taste of blood, the, the, the taste of what it is to be a champion. They're going to have a very, very um, electric crowd playing to, to back them up in Death Valley. I, I think we, we win going away. I don't want to jinx this, but I just I can't see uh, enough playmakers on either side of the ball for them to to make this a competitive game. Yeah, for sure. And we we have not talked about mistakes or you know avoiding letdowns or turnovers on the Clemson side, and uh, pretty tough to predict Clemson to start turning the ball over all over the field and what that effect would have. But um, yeah, in general, I think. That's going to be important. That's really one of the only ways that South Carolina stays in this game. Um, so, yeah, we will, we will see. But um, important one for Clemson. And I'd like to take that opportunity to pivot us to the national scene. Um, this rivalry weekend is going to have a, a pretty big ramification on what happens with the next college football playoff ranking. Um, a lot of that comes down to what goes on in Columbus on Saturday morning with Ohio State, who's now number two, hosting now number three Michigan um, in the game or the big game um, there in Columbus. Michigan, as everyone knows, is likely to be without their season's starting quarterback, um, but Michigan holds an advantage in that if they win, they're definitively into the Big Ten title game. If Ohio State does win, uh, 
Penn State still holds a head-to-head tiebreaker with them. Penn State plays Michigan State. Um, so we could have a scenario, Cody, where Ohio State still has one loss to Penn State, uh, beats Michigan, the number three team in the country, but is not able to play for a conference championship. And by virtue of that, might be on the outside looking in, or they might be the first team to get in without having a conference championship distinction. Uh, so that one's going to be really interesting, I think, for ACC fan, you know, for Clemson fans, for University of Washington fans, the cleanest thing that can happen is the Big Ten just gets a single champion through Michigan. No question marks about you know a one-loss team on the outside. You know it's cleaner with Michigan. I just my money is on the Buckeyes here. Yeah, Moo, they're they're at home. Uh, Michigan is is proven to be uh, they're they're a good team. They just don't have the talent quite yet, and that uh, they have potential down the road with under Harbaugh to be really good. They're not quite there. I can't see them winning this game. I'm with you, and that doesn't that doesn't make for anything clean. Um, <laughs> Washington's going to be really pissed. The Pac-12 should be really pissed if, in any way, they win out and and win their conference champion conference championship, and then a, a Big Ten two-loss team non-conference champion gets in over them. I, and I don't think that'll happen. I, and I don't care what anyone says. We look. We watch games. We watch games. That's 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 what the committee says. We watch games. And that's their way of saying we, we're smart, we're, we know football, we, we do put a little bit on the eye test, and I think most people would say Ohio State is better than Washington, and pro- maybe even Michigan is better than Washington, but I don't think that we'll put uh, a non-conference champion over Washington. I don't think. That's my opinion. We'll see. Well, and I think the other question is, would they, so Ohio State in that scenario would only have one loss, actually, but they would not have that championship belt to go with it. Um, what you would then potentially get is Penn State playing Wisconsin. Both those teams have two losses already. The winner of that does get the conference championship star next to their name. Do they automatically get in versus a one-loss Washington versus a one-loss non-champ Ohio State? I think that's like the messy scenario that they're probably the committee is probably looking to avoid having to make the call on. Um, but I actually personally see as probably the most likely outcome. Uh, but Washington, you mentioned, you know, it's not a shoe in that they win this weekend over in Pullman, Washington against Washington State, you know, in the Apple Cup. That's not a guaranteed win for them, nor is winning the Pac 12 versus either Colorado or a USC team that is like completely revamped, uh, even though they've already lost three games this year. USC's lost three games? Yeah. They lost wow, two. That- uh, actually, I don't know the teams immediately off the top of my head, but they got crushed against Alabama in the first right. week of the year. And um, under Sam Darnold, it's kind of a not dissimilar situation to South Carolina where they found their quarterback. You know, He's quarterback of the future. He's revamped their offense, revamped their team, and now they're on the rise. I think USC's just done that in much more dramatic fashion, You know, beating teams down the stretch like UCLA. They beat Washington at home. Um, they crushed Notre Dame. So actually, sorry. I believe they play Notre Dame this weekend, but um, anyway, USC's looking looking really good. I I think they're incidentally completely out of the playoff picture, but yeah, you know Washington does not have an easy path. But but if they do make it through that stretch, I think it'd be tough to leave them out. So, right, the, Big so 10, the Big Ten could get screwed. It's my I guess all right. So if I'm I'm a betting man, and as you know, I am a betting man. Um, <laughs> USC with the third losses, it disqualifies them. If they want to do a, at this point in the season, who are the best teams? I think USC, and, and if they were to win, then Pac-12 has a, a, a very solid argument 
that they they probably are one of the top four teams or deserving teams. But um, doubt that'll happen. I think you get I think you get two big ten two big ten teams in. I can't see. Uh, it's just hard to see it otherwise, and it is, it is weird to think of a scenario where Michigan or Ohio State don't even play for the Big Ten championship. But man, they you know it's also about money, and they they would love to have yeah uh, some combination of Penn State and Ohio State in the playoff. That's just gonna that's gonna sell tickets. It's gonna it's gonna get views. Um, people are gonna watch that. Yeah, for sure. And I also think a lot of what ha- what matters here too is. How are our teams winning games? Um, I think Clemson right now we're we're fourth in the country. That's definitely going to change this coming weekend. You know, God willing, we win our game. You know, either Ohio State or Michigan, who are immediately ahead of us, are going to lose. We're likely to move up into the three or the two seed there, um, and I think that'll persist if we win the ACC title. Uh, we got to win definitively, though. We didn't talk about that in the South Carolina game, but margin of victory and eye test, and who knows by a Saturday night. You know, people are going to be on their third day of football. How many of these, you know, how many of the AP voters are going to make make their way up to watch the Palmetto Bowl? Um, sometimes they just look at box scores. Sometimes they look at final scores um, to make their decisions. And that should not affect the committee if they're not watching a full Clemson game. Like, you know, shame on them. Uh, but I think margin of victory matters a lot. And if Wisconsin, let's say, steamrolls Penn State, you know, it'd be tough to leave them out. You know, and then right. maybe you do allow an Ohio State team in, especially if they blow out Michigan. So that's where Washington probably also can't leave their foot off the gas. Um, It's a shame that, you know, margin of victory matters so much, but kind of makes for, could make for exciting football, can also make for really boring football. Yeah. So it it seems like a foregone conclusion that if we were to win out, and hopefully we don't do it by squeaking by, you know, a la Penn State, uh, or I'm sorry, NC NC State. NC State, yes. Yep. Um, so assuming we went out and, and we get by in, in, in a somewhat convincing fashion, there's it seems like we got to be two or three, right? Well, I think no matter what, if you're a Clemson fan, that's your that's what you're rooting for. I mean, I've talked to buddies that are like, I don't care, I'll play Bama, whatever, wherever, I'll play anywhere. No. And it's like, look, you, we'll get our shot at Bama. Let's do it in the Natty. Let's do a rematch. You know, you got to play for the opportunity that Ohio State or Wisconsin, even with a great defense figures it out against Saban with three, three weeks prep. That's my thing. You, you, you want to avoid Saban at all costs. And if you're, if you're just a, if, if you didn't watch the national championship game <laughs> last year, well, I'll, you know, I'll fill you in. Uh, we, we lost because Saban's a great coach, not because we were under talented and not because we weren't as good of a team, but because he schooled us. And if he has three weeks of prep, yeah, he, I mean, he'll he'll exploit. Our team does have certain weaknesses that other teams have exploited. I'm pretty sure Saban will find those too. I would love to not play him in that first game. Uh, and and granted, you you still get ten days if you play him the, play him in the championship, and he still will have time to dive into your film. But the the, the distinction there, the the key thing there is that there's always a chance that an Urban Meyer team, Urban Meyer coach team, a, a Harbaugh team. Uh, a Chris Peterson from Washington, the guy that you know, coached Boise State over Oklahoma, could come in and potentially steal a game from Bama. Mm-hmm. And if if we don't play Bama, if we if we can win the first game and not play Bama, I'm I'm just as happy because nowhere on that championship trophy will it say anything about asterisk did not play Alabama this season. It'll just say 2017 national champs, and I'm I'm good with that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so the only scenario we haven't really talked about here is. 
the Big 12 getting in. And at this point, you know, Bedlam's this weekend, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. They're both, I think it's like number eight, number 10. Uh, they are going to need a lot of help to have any sniff. You know, both, both schools have two losses. Uh, to have any sniff at the top four, you know, even under the committee's criteria of wanting the top four teams in the country, I still think both of those teams are terribly flawed um, and have some pretty egregious losses on their resume. Uh, so it would take something like, you know, knock on wood, Clemson losing, potentially Washington losing, um, and the Big Ten imploding somewhat to allow a Big 12 team to even come close to this. So um, anyway, I, I'm personally willing to write them off. I think you also need to look at Oklahoma, for instance. You know, their last three non-conference games against legit opponents, they got blown out by Ohio State, uh, they lost to Houston, and they, they got blown out by Clemson. So how, how, how quick to put them in is the committee going to be? I don't think very. Yeah, and for uh, because Ohio State beat them head to head in Norman, uh, I, that wedges them out, and I think that gives that kind of safety blanket. I mean, it, I, I just can't see how you can let them in. Even I mean, they have played better at the end of the year, but it, that head to head it has to trump something, and that and that's just in the case that Ohio State were to lose to Michigan, um, and that gives them two losses, and then I mean, I, yeah, it, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of scenarios. I will say with Louisville, uh, they're. I, firmly out of it and i can't see them there's no really no, no, no way they're, virtually they're no way they can get in right yeah yeah they, if, their best win to is, their best wins florida state after that i can't even tell you what their best win is um you know pick your garden variety atlantic team after that um <laughs> so you know yeah if, if they don't lose to houston if they beat houston I, it looks like they they probably could get in now but that's right. not going to happen and, and they would have to beat the the breaks off of Kentucky, but they probably will do that. We'll see. We'll see how motivated they are this weekend. If yeah, those betting guys out there, that might be a good one to look at. I mean, Lamar Jackson's still fighting for a Heisman Trophy. I think it's his to lose, you know, at this point. But um, you know, putting Louisville hate aside a little bit, um, you know, they they still represent our conference, and I think um they're very much a reason why a lot of people feel like the acc is the best top to bottom conference in the country this year uh, with clemson you know being an elite top five team louisville definitely impressing people florida state underachieving but you know still very quality and then the coastal having somewhat of a resurgence over there um maybe we could talk real quick cody about the coastal uh, still an open window for north carolina to make the championship game if virginia tech were to fall to virginia I'm just not seeing that happening. I think it will be Virginia Tech. So um, I'm personally going to keep a really close eye on both of those games just to see who we're likely to face and see if I can get a little bit of you know personal education on you know the style of play that we're, we're likely to face the following week down in Orlando. Um, I think that's really the only other game with big implications outside of the Ohio State-Michigan one. Uh, but yeah, keep a close eye on that Apple Cup too. That, that's also on Friday this week. Right, I think yeah. When you, you look at North Carolina, um, we we're familiar with them. I think we there's a certain fear they can in, in, invoke in, in Clemson fans because of their uh, their explosive offensive upside. Uh, with Virginia Tech, and I haven't been able to dive into them as deeply as I would liked. Uh, you know, spoiler alert: I don't dive into ACC coastal games on my Saturdays. <laughs> I, I watch SEC West games, <laughs> and I watch Big Ten, uh, what Michigan and Ohio State. Um, we, we were. You and I, I watch games that Gus Johnson calls. 
There, yeah, he's great, man. He is so good. <laughs> he's amazing. I, I wish he was. Uh, I wish he was in the ACC. But I, you and I were actually at the at um, our Clemson bar this weekend. We saw some Virginia Tech fans there, and they're they're excited, and we're like, yeah, they were very nice. They were watching their game before ours began, and we're like, hey, we're about to see you guys in a in a week or, or in two weeks, and it looks like that's the way it's gonna it's gonna play out. And I I think from you know a very a minimal research, I think our, our matchup is more favorable against them versus uh, North Carolina. Yeah, you know, first year head coach, uh, certainly people thought that he picked up right where Beamer left off, and they've got their longtime defensive coordinator there uh, working for Virginia Tech. But um, yeah, you know, Mitch Trubisky and North Carolina's playmakers give me probably a little more uh, heartache or heartburn relative to Virginia Tech's. And I think Virginia Tech also is one of those teams that gives up quite a few chunk plays on defense, even though they are a defensive-minded team. So that's something that we calibrate well against um, as our offense is chock-full of playmakers. So um, let's get to that one after, the, uh, after South Carolina. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not, beat South Carolina, right? Let's not jump ahead, but um, you know, we'll certainly give that one the, the podcast preview treatment a week from now. Fair enough. Cool. Well, uh, you guys made it. This is definitely our longest show of all time. Um, so we thank you for sticking through. Hopefully you were able to digest this one in multiple chunks um, over, you know, in, in breaks between food runs on your Thanksgiving weekend. So uh, we appreciate you sticking with the podcast, um, spreading the good word about our show, telling friends, following us online and all that good stuff. So um, thank you once again. Really looking forward to recapping the South Carolina game. Um, which we hope is a victory, our third in a row against the Gamecocks for what it would be worth. And um, as we you know, get ready to take a look ahead to the ACC championship game. So um, with that, we will sign off. Thank you very much. And as always, go Tigers.